This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The departure of the U.S. from Afghanistan and the apparent ease with which the Taliban seized the country raises many questions. Among them, was this what we were preventing for 20 years? Did we waste trillions of dollars if this is how it ends? Did the U.S. really achieve anything? Cato Institute senior fellow Justin Logan discusses the new reality in Afghanistan. On the departure from uh, Afghanistan, it seems that at least partisans have all fallen into relatively familiar camps with respect to laying blame for it. Uh, first, the the policy, this seems clearly to have been the right decision. Well, I think the implementation of the policy has caused things to be fogged up in a sense, right? Nobody likes to open Twitter and find an image of a human being falling off a U.S. Air Force uh, jet uh, from several hundred feet to his death. Uh, So there's a certain grim uh, visual to what's going on. But I think people have this sense, and maybe the most common misperception is that there was some way to freeze the status quo in amber, right? We have 2,500 troops on the ground. Things are sort of limping along. Um, There's no Taliban takeover. And isn't that something worth preserving forever? And you could certainly argue that it would be, except for the fact that um, Taliban restraint was in part a function of the Doha diplomatic process, in large part a function of that diplomatic process. Um, the Taliban were not, have not been attacking U.S. forces for over a year um, because of commitments that were made and on both sides heretofore kept. I mean, Biden was supposed to have all U.S. personnel out originally under that agreement by May and said, we're not going to make it by May, but we'll make it by September the 11th. Um, and the Taliban to this point, and you know, don't, don't quote me on this going on in perpetuity, um, have shown some restraint. Uh, the Taliban have uh, helped to secure the airport, the, the, the road to the airport, to the Kabul airport. Um, yesterday, you had a Taliban official do an interview on television with a female journalist. Um, they've granted what they're calling a general amnesty, uh, which will, I think, allow the Biden administration, I hope, to fix some of the issues with um, getting people out, getting getting the Afghans that helped the Americans out. So it's, it's anyone's guess as to how long or whether that will continue. But during that period, uh, there's, a mobi- there's an ability for Biden to correct the one thing that they got wrong, which was the speed with which they needed to get people out. I had read some uh, reporting, I think, in the Washington Post that indicated uh, pretty much from the moment it seemed clear that the U.S. was on track to depart, that the Taliban began paying local leaders throughout the country to uh, have people uh, lay down arms and allow them to move through their cities without uh, bloodshed, uh, which indicates to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, at any point point at which the United States decided to depart, that this kind of strategy would be workable. And uh, it almost seems almost inevitable. Well, if you want to use the great counterinsurgency metaphor of the ink blot, the Taliban ink blot has been expanding in Afghanistan, not just uh, since the Americans announced that they were leaving, but in fact, for years. Um, And part of it, much of it actually, has not been fighting. It has been, as you point out, um, political uh, cajoling and uh, deal making, etc. Um, and I think you can argue if a Taliban takeover was inevitable, 
um, what's the point of having a civil war on the way to that ultimate outcome? And I think that appears to be what so many, certainly of the provincial governors decided, um, and Ashraf Ghani, whose whereabouts at this point to me are unknown, uh, appears to have come to the same conclusion. That, sadly, is its own commentary on an American effort that took 20 years, over a trillion dollars, thousands of American uh, person, military personnel lost, uh, tens of thousands of grave injuries to create uh, a political entity in the form of the Afghan government that with really no duress militarily from the Taliban uh, just folded up immediately. So I think that's you know really unfortunate. But the flip side of it, as I said, is if you believe a Taliban takeover to be inevitable, you know what's the point of running a Syrian civil war scenario where you have just catastrophic damage across the country over a period of years and then wind up in the same predicament after all the killing and mayhem? The Biden administration in uh, undertaking this departure from Afghanistan seems to want to leave open the door. For going back in, I don't read it that way. I the the press okay. conference that Biden did yesterday afternoon was pretty uncompromising at a point where uh, making concessions would have been understandable. I think Biden has been pretty forceful on this since the time that he was vice president. He opposed the Afghanistan surge. Um, he has said that you know nation building in Afghanistan is not something that we should be engaged in. Uh, he said you know if the if the Afghan military wasn't willing to fight at all for the Afghan government, then the Afghan government may not really be a thing. So I don't read. I mean, you, I guess you could say now that they're you know we're going back in in the sense of uh, sending more personnel in. But I think you know you can see if anything in the Taliban response to that, they appear to read it the way I read it. They don't think that there's any restart uh, of American military operations, but rather just a mad dash to try to fix um, some of the short-term things that got messed up uh, in in the event where you know the Taliban just immediately took over, which they obviously didn't expect. The U.S. campaign there, uh, at least to the extent that we had a military presence on the ground in Afghanistan, was paired with uh, bombings for many, many bombs uh, every day. And uh, is there any expectation that the United States will operate the way it has in other countries that we are not officially at war with, just continuing to drop bombs? I mean, I think that's certainly a possibility and maybe a necessity. One of the things that I've been saying to, you know, that, that, that doesn't just roll off the tongue exactly is we need to be talking to the Taliban about counterterrorism. And this is an area where the United States needs to be pretty uncompromising, whereas on pretty much every other issue, it can make compromises. And I think at this point where the Taliban seems to be uh, in its most liberal-minded, pluralistic mode, which is uh, damning with faint praise, um, we really need to be pressing this case to say, we're not going to be attempting to run Afghanistan's internal politics, but we will monitor and will not tolerate something that looks like a 1999 or 2000 Afghanistan. Um, and one hopes that the Taliban can be persuaded on this point, but only time will tell. But I think it's just going to be an excruciating um, thing for many of the people who have been involved in this 20-year effort to stand up an Afghan government to talk, you know, 45 days later uh, with the people 
that just with a you know slight breath blew that effort to pieces with respect to uh the people who are remaining in Afghanistan who spent many years helping US forces in this uh ill-fated war what ought to be the next steps for those people are they do you do you perceive them to be at substantial risk well it's it's they certainly feel at substantial risk um in the extent to which that's accurate uh is you know i don't i don't want to weigh in and and say they're wrong Give in this period in which the Taliban say that they have declared a general amnesty um, and are helping secure the road to the airport and are not firing on Americans in any meaningful way, it seems to me that this is time to flood the zone uh, for these people. I mean, you have the Pentagon saying they're ready for 22,000, um, which is you know a drop in the bucket in terms of the number of people who would like to get out. But the first priority does need to be the people to whom we've made commitments, right? We haven't made a commitment that anybody who wants to live in a liberal country from Afghanistan can come. Um, but we have made commitments to a certain number of people who find themselves still in Afghanistan. And the priority needs to be the people to whom we've made commitments. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult <laughs> process. But I think and I hope that the Biden administration will really press hard and fast to get those people out because that you know, we, we need to be as good as our word uh, and our word needs to stand for something. What are the big lessons long term? A lot of people have been showing pictures of these uh, twin prop helicopters uh, leaving, uh, be it Saigon or Kabul. Um, is, it's hard to imagine that, you know, those are those events are 50 years apart. But is there anything from this that you think is going to stick in terms of military policy? Well, I can say what should stick is that the United States should swear off nation building, uh, particularly in countries like Afghanistan. I mean, the the real problem in Afghanistan was that the mission expanded dramatically under cover of the Iraq war. So the the you know people say, oh, well, if we just hadn't started the Iraq war, we could have really made Afghanistan something. I think that's wrong. I think that's nonsensical. But what is true is that Iraq sucked the oxygen out of the atmosphere uh, at a time when the Afghanistan mission should have been undergoing serious scrutiny. And it's kind of an insane but true thing that under cover of the Iraq war, people in the American government decided to dramatically expand the mission in Afghanistan, one of the most uh, under, underdeveloped and decentralized societies on earth, uh, to say we're going to create a more or less liberal, more or less central government in Afghanistan, um, and we're going to do it, you know, <laughs> in a in a, in a reasonable period of time. And after those uh, that that mission expanded, the U.S. military leadership and the U.S. political leadership repeatedly lied to the American people. They lied to Congress. And we know that they lied to the American people. And we know that they lied to Congress. So there's there's plenty of blame to go around is one of the things that I think is there's broadest consensus on. Um, but all of the oversight functions failed. All of the policymaking functions across three plus administrations failed in Afghanistan. And, you know, if people actually care about this, um, the, the the facts are hiding in plain sight. They're right there in the Washington Post. I mean, Craig Whitlock now has a book out 
um, on basically on the series that he started in 2019 called the Afghanistan Papers that reveal, among other things, the Special Inspector General for uh, Afghanistan Reconstruction, John Sopko, um, just issued report after report after report. In congressional testimony in 2019, he said the American people have been, quote, constantly lied to about progress in Afghanistan by the political and military leadership. Do people care about that? Uh, and, and if they do, then there really needs to be some form of accountability and reckoning here. I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, but if, if, if people care about this, it's all right there in the newspaper for anybody who cares to read it, uh, get upset about it, and, you know, send their congressman a letter. Justin Logan is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 